James is blunt. If you haven't figured that out yet, James is blunt. If you read one of the letters from the Apostle Paul, you will find that he takes a little while to develop his arguments and present them to you methodically. But you all have a friend like James who just gets right in your face and says, this is how it is. Deal with it. And that's how James writes. He changes topics very quickly. And he closes his letter on the subject of prayer. And he just jumps right into it and says, if any of you are suffering hardship, he should pray. You probably knew that. But he wants you to do that. He doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to do it. He said, if any of you are happy, you should sing praises. Um, you know Paul McCartney's song, When I Find Myself in Times of Trouble, Mother Mary calls to me, speaking words of wisdom. This is your part. Let it be, let it be, let it be. But about trouble, James says, don't let it be. Pray, pray hard. Everyone you know has their share of drama, right? Their share of trouble. If you just take two minutes to talk to anybody in the room, you're, and you ask them what's going on, they're, they're going to tell you some things in their life that's going on. Just drama. Wednesday night, I went down to Jefferson Avenue at the top store where the shooting in Buffalo took place in the month of April. Since that time, a church in Buffalo has been meeting every Wednesday night across the street. They have uh, volunteers from their church who grill out all kinds of food. Uh, people are arranging backpacks to give to kids. There's supplies for babies. There's just a lot of stuff going on there. And this past Wednesday night was their final night of the summer before uh, school starts and the weather changes. At the, at the conclusion of it, they present music and they present a gospel message. And you can sense it when you get out of the car and you walk to that site. You can sense the heaviness. It's there. It's real. It's a big thing. Um, the neighborhood is, uh, is hurting. They're definitely suffering hardship, but I'm happy to report to you that there's a church down there. God's people are representing the king, and they're trying their best to meet needs, and they're meeting with people to pray. And that's what they spend a lot of their time doing, is praying. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. And prayer is appropriate, as you know, on all occasions, in all situations, in every culture, for all ages, young and old, at all times. But you know how our culture is. They have a very different response to trouble. Suffering hardship? Go see a doctor. Go to a therapist. Try some of the new medical marijuana products. Move to a better climate. Get yourself a lawyer. Share on social media all your issues. 
Now, of course, those steps may be helpful down the road. But if you have James as a friend, he's going to say, are you suffering hardship? That comes second. All that stuff is second. You should pray. In 2016, the Canadian government approved a shocking bill legalizing euthanasia. This means assisted suicide. That is one of their answers to hardship. There has been over uh, 31,000 assisted deaths in Canada since 2016. Last year, there were over 10,000. There were several sites that I read. I'm just going to quote one for you and put it up on the wall for you to see. This source says, because of high medical care and what seems like hopeless conditions, the practice is expanding to those with disabling conditions like dementia, mental illness, and old age. This is the answer in a lot of people's mind to these conditions. And now it gets serious because we're talking about maybe your mom and dad. And maybe you, down the road, this is the answer the world gives to hardship. Consider ending your life. And James stubbornly counters, instead of considering ending your life, consider bringing a matter to Almighty God, the God of heaven and earth. There are, there are many people in this room today, we could just have a lineup right now, just what God has done in your life in the last year. People who have faced incredible hardship, right? Yet they can tell stories of our mighty God who hears and who answers prayer time after time. And we pray not just in hardship. James says, if any of you are happy, you should sing praises. I know that some people are reluctant to pray because they've never done it before. I don't know how that happened, but it's pretty easy, you know, our, an old friend of ours, part of this church, says, you know, praying, praying is so easy, you can do it with your eyes closed. That's how, that's how hard it is. Deb had a youth group uh, prayer breakfast before school once a week where she was growing up. Once a new kid came to the prayer breakfast and the leader just bluntly, like James, asked him, hey, would you like to pray today? And the kid said, I don't know what to say. And the guy, the leader says, well, just say, Thank you for the donuts. So Bill's first public prayer was, God, thank you for the donuts. It's that easy. One man said it like this. If you tell God all your concerns, you'll never run out of things to request. And if you learn to recognize all the blessings you've received in Christ, you'll never run out of things for which to give praise. Isn't that the truth? Man, that's why the scriptures say pray without ceasing. Because when I was a kid, I thought that's impossible. Now as an old guy, I'm thinking, what else could you do with that? That's what we do. The Lord would like our time with him to be like an ongoing cell phone conversation. You know, you know when you're driving your car, you're stopped at traffic, and the light turns green and you're still sitting there? because somebody ahead of you, your positive is on their, yeah, they're doing that. 
don't be that guy, don't be that girl. But that's how the Lord would like our prayer conversation to be with every stop sign, red light, driving down the road, uh, before you go to sleep, before you eat something, when you wake up. This is throughout the day. That's how it should be. Uh, good things come our way, pray. Hardship comes our way, pray. There were two sailors adrift on the ocean. They had been shipwrecked, and now they were trying to make land, but pretty much had given up hope for rescue. They were desperate, so one guy decided first time in his life he was going to pray. He said, Lord, I have lived a worthless life. I have been a lousy husband. I have neglected my children. But if you save me, I promise. And the other guy shouted out, hold on just a minute. I think I see land. That's how we, as, soon as, as soon as we find another way out, we stop, we stop our prayers. On your best day, when you are happy, praise. On your worst day, when you're facing hardship, pray. Pray regularly. But James quickly moves on because there's another category he wants to cover with you. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Pray faithfully. In John chapter 9, the followers of Jesus ask him a really interesting question. They saw a man who was blind from birth and they said, uh, Who sinned? Somebody's responsible here. Was it him or was it his parents? How did this guy get like this? It has to be the result of disobedient behavior of some kind, right? We think it's punishment. They believed that there was a strong connection between a person's evil conduct and physical illness. And we know that when Jesus came along in kindness and healing to all, he was indiscriminate. He he didn't care about your situation or who you were. He, he just was kind and miraculous in his dealings with people. Yet he didn't completely dismiss people's behavior. Like in John chapter 5, he said to one man, stop sinning after he healed him. Stop sinning or something worse could happen to you. So he brought that connection there's, there's perhaps that connection that's deeper than we can grasp. I will be quick to tell you that there's several interpretations of this passage of Scripture that I just read to you. For instance, the Roman Catholic Church has developed the sacrament of extreme unction from this text. They anoint a person with oil at the point of death. Probably you've seen that done or heard of that done. They call it the last rites. A lot of different interpretations about this text, but I can see, and you can see as you read it, that this passage emphasizes not death 
but healing. It's, it's trying to get you back on your feet again. And you know that for centuries, oil was commonly used as medicine, like as common as almost like we use ibuprofen. It was like that, anoint with oil. Today, many people think this passage simply means to pray for healing and use your medicine. That's, that's, I mean, I read some commentaries this week. That's pretty much what they said. Pray for healing, use your medicine. That's what, that's what we do commonly, right? But I will tell you that when the elders of the church here are requested to anoint with oil, we do that. It's not practiced every week. It's not practiced even every month. But when I faced this big surgery in the springtime, there were guys who anointed me with oil. Um, from time to time, it happens here. There was a woman named Kate who was in desperate shape with a concussion, a head injury. And after many exams and treatments here locally, she received no relief at all. It was a scary and miserable condition for a young mom. She and her husband in desperation came to the elders and asked them to anoint her with oil and pray as instructed in James. Some people struggle with that, saying, well, that was for back then. It doesn't mean now. And you can interpret that how you want. It's okay. Uh, we're not going to separate the body of Christ over that kind of discussion. But the elders of the church did meet with Kate and Dan, and they did anoint with oil, and they did pray for a healing. And there was not immediate healing. In fact, it took years. The couple moved away to another state. In that other state, they kept exploring opportunities and medical issues, and they found this fantastic doctor who specialized in head trauma. You can explain it any way you like, and I don't care. Eventually, the Lord provided a remedy and Kate is active and healthy today. And for that, we thank the Lord. You can determine how that happened, but I know the Lord did it. And we thank him for it. You notice when James, who was the brother of Jesus, speaks, he, he hardly mentions his brother. And again, I tell you that if Jesus was my brother, and I was writing a letter. I would probably let it be known several times through the letter that, oh yeah, remember, I grew up with the guy, I know him. But he didn't do that. He was probably humbled by his rejection of his brother, but he was also humbled because that's the way a Christian lives, in humility. But notice that he says when we pray, we pray in the name of the Lord. And I think every time he must have thought about that, he said, I, I, I grew up with God in the flesh, was in my house. He's my older brother. I, what was I thinking when I didn't put my trust in him? But now he does. He says, we pray in the name of the Lord who has authority over every issue. That's what Lord means, authority over everything. If you get him involved, it changes everything. And according to verse 15, some sickness is caused by 
evil behavior. Step one, when you're sick, call your elders. Their obligation is to show up and listen and pray in faith. Step one, add to that, take your medication. But the sick person has obligations. Verse 16 says, confess your sins towards each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We ignore that quite a bit, don't we? we? When we pray, we don't pray with a hammer. We pray with a first aid kit. The first item on the agenda of the elders meeting when we get together is shepherding. Not, not anything else but you. And how are you doing? How are the sheep? Who's hurting? How can we help? All matters are kept in the strictest confidence. And granted, we don't know everything. We know some things. But before we move on to any other issue, we pray for the needs of which we are aware. Quite often there's a follow-up phone call. How are you doing? What's going on with you? But is it only physical illness? Is there something else related to it? Are there spiritual issues going on here? Is there disobedience? Is there bitterness? Is there something you're holding on to against someone else? Those are hard questions. But the elders love the flock. They want to see the sheep healthy and strong. They hurt with those who hurt, and they rejoice with those who rejoice. And I know them. They will stop what they're doing to hear your story and pray with you. So if you're sick, take your medication. Go see your doctor. But pray. And ask the elders to pray with you and for you. And then James throws all this together with this amazing verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Oh, man. He's talking about you. When you pray, that's what happens when you pray. Many years ago, one of our leaders was named Ken. He had a disabling problem uh, that you, some of you will remember. It was arthritis. He was a union carpenter in his working years, but in his late years, he's still alive living in North Carolina. In his late years with us, he needed assistance to move. First uh, crutches, a walker, eventually uh, one of the little battery-powered carts. But he was always around, and he inspired us with his great attitude, and his great hope was that someday the Lord would restore his mobility, that he could walk under his own power, and he could come up here and join the rest of the guys and girls as they distribute the Lord's Supper and take up the offering. That was his goal. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to regain his mobility, not just for him, but so he could serve. Prayer, medicine, prayer, medicine, new medicine, more prayer, therapy, more medicine, more prayer. What a happy day when under his own power, he was back up front with other men giving out the Lord's Supper. You never saw a guy smile so much when he gave the Lord's Supper out to people as he did that day. Just smiling like a mule eating briars, as they say. Yippee! 
Remember in James 4, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Well, pray, pray regularly and pray faithfully. Then we move to verse 17. Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. This point is just pray earnestly. Uh, review real quickly. Elijah lived in Old Testament times under the reign of a wicked king named Ahab. God raised up Elijah to confront this ungodly king. And it was really hard. His, Ahab's first words to Ahab were these. As the Lord lives, there will be neither new, uh, dew nor rain for the next few years at my command. Can you imagine on this cloudy day that one of us goes outside and says, Lord, don't let it rain for three and a half years. And you're going, but it's cloudy. I mean, did you see the weather report? It's supposed to rain off and on over the next... But you pray this prayer of faith and three and a half years without rain. That's what Elijah did. Elijah believed he served the sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He rules over everything. Nothing's too hard for him. When we pray, he moves in our crises. Well, remember the story. Elijah and Ahab met in an epic showdown. 450 prophets of the pagan god Baal versus Elijah and his invisible god. From all outward appearances, you know the story. It looked like Elijah had no shot. But keep reading. Baal and his men were no match for the sovereign Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And this time, God answered by fire, and it was a great victory. But still, it hadn't rained. Then Elijah prayed six times. He prayed earnestly. He prayed persistently six times for rain. And as Mark Batterson writes in his book, he said, Elijah prayed through and God came through. James says that Elijah prayed earnestly. Sometimes we mouth words, we repeat prayers that we've heard others pray. Sometimes it's a ritual that we quickly uh, go through in order to go to the next thing. But Elijah prayed earnestly. Slow down. Think about what you're saying. Mean what you say. And James makes sure we understand that Elijah didn't have super powers. He wasn't one of the Avengers. He, James makes it clear. Elijah was human as we are, just like us. He wasn't more holy than you. He didn't have a special hotline to heaven. He didn't have a special gift of faith or spend all of his time in a monastery. He was just like you. 
the difference is that he asked a big, hairy, audacious prayer, and he kept asking. A few years back, uh, Deb and I were in a Tim Hortons restaurant. You've played the game that we were playing that day. They were running that contest called Roll Up the Rim to Win. You know, and so they, everybody buys more coffee because they want to win. I remember as Deb got her coffee that day, the server said, I hope you win a car today. I go, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't touch the coffee, but I wanted to see if she won. Hurry up, drink your coffee, hurry up. We took our seats. You know, you expect to win something. I'll take the donut. I don't care. Let's just win something. Hurry up. And you know what it says almost, I don't know, yeah, please play again. Okay, please play again. So I want to bounce off of that and say, when we ask the Lord and we don't get that immediate answer, His unstated message is, please pray again. Get into it. Don't quit. Play, pray again. Keep after it, just like Elijah did. You pray like everything depends on God and you work like everything depends on you and you act as if the answer is on the way. Let's go do this. I love the message that Elijah sent to the proud king, Ahab. The rain hadn't come yet, and Elijah said, hitch up your chariot and get off this mountain before the rain stops you. Get your umbrella out, buddy. It's coming. And it hadn't rained in three and a half years. Maybe you have been praying for something for three and a half years or more. James reminds us, pray earnestly. Then last, verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Pray compassionately. The last two verses don't mention the subject of prayer, but it is in that context that James write, writes, and it's certainly implied. So here's the question. It's uncomfortable, but this is James' way. This is just uncomfortable, but here we go. What is your move when you see a fellow believer wondering from the truth? What do you do? In recent years, we have heard the term whistleblower. Or, if you see something, say something. Report that behavior, that suspicious behavior, to somebody. Let it be known. And of course, this is awkward and uncomfortable because we can see, we have seen how this whistleblowing or this see something, say something results in harm. Accusations that are false. But what happens when you as a follower of Jesus see a fellow follower of Jesus wonder from the truth? What do you do? Suppose you become aware that someone is living a double life. Suppose you become aware of someone who's just totally neglecting his family or who is completely uh, misleading their parents or someone who is yeah, you can fill in the blank right you've seen it 
perhaps you've done it. This is real life, and it's real awkward, and it's real delicate, and what do you do? Should we become whistleblowers? Or should we just say, it's none of my business, and leave it alone? Well, James wouldn't let you off the hook either way. Don't do either one of those. James says we're to go after them and turn them back. Yeah. How do you like that? You're responsible. Brothers, if you see someone caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. That's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Suppose you're a lifeguard. You're watching a group of swimmers at the beach. They're having fun. Suddenly, out there in the waves, you see the fin of a shark. Yeah. The swimmers are having fun. They don't know. They don't see the danger. How do you react? What's your obligation? I think I'll keep getting a suntan. I need more lotion. Well, listen. You might say, it's, they're adults. They're free to make their own choice. They should be aware and it's their deal. You say, none of my business. But listen, if I am in the water that day and you are the lifeguard, would you please give me a clear warning and remember I'm slow, so I need a lot of time to move. So please, blow the whistle. If you see something, say something to me. Let me know if I'm getting off track. James is closing his letter in an awkward way, but also a compassionate way. We have a responsibility to each other. Go quietly, make the appointment, go with compassion, slow down, take the time, express your deep love for them, and gently point out how they're, uh, you're wondering about them and how their conduct is not measuring up to the life of Christ. And I tell you, it will take all the maturity and all the humility that you have and more to do this kind of rescue work. And James says, this is a matter of life and death. Sheep that wander away from the flock are in danger. And maybe even as I'm speaking, someone in your life has come to your mind and Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to make a phone call today. What is your responsibility in this matter? I remember reading a while back about a guy named Mark Mahal who was golfing with three of his friends, and it was their first round of the spring. They were living out in southern Illinois, and Mark saw something odd in the fairway that he had never seen before, and he went to investigate it, and as he went, walked over there, the ground suddenly gave way and Mark fell into an 18-foot sinkhole. And, I mean, it just happened like that. And he was laying in mud and sand and darkness and he injured himself. And panic set in and he thought, what just happened to me? How do I get out of here? And his friends, his friends went to work immediately. Uh, the, one went right down into the hole, jumped in there after him, 
to try to help him. And another called for help. And they didn't wait for emergency personnel. Together, they somehow figured out a way to pull their buddy out of that mess. And his friends, like golfers do, his friends said later, hey, Mark scored himself a hole-in-one that day. <laughs> and Mark has never stopped giving thanks for his buddies who rescued him from certain death. I need to invite the worship team up as we get ready to close here. I know the Holy Spirit works in ways beyond our ability to comprehend. And I am praying that the Holy Spirit has put somebody on your mind today that you need to pray with or perhaps have a discussion with about how things are going in their life. It's hard work. But you slowing down and you taking the time to pray and you taking the time to have the conversation is a matter of life and death. That's how James puts it. And I encourage you, I urge you to do that today.